0: This is the Ag Queen podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host. Lori Boyer.
1: Earlier this month, I had the opportunity to attend the annual convention of the American Sheep Industry Association that took place in downtown Denver. I sat down with Executive Director Peter Orwick to talk about not only the convention, but industry issues. Peter, you said there are about 420 people who are attending the convention this year. What are some takeaways? What are some highlights from the event?
0: Well first our opening session uh, we had uh, professional staff from the agriculture uh, committees of the US Senate and House and they laid out their uh, the plans of the leadership for a farm bill in 2024 uh, how much money they need to find and their plans to seek it and and again with the goal uh, whether it's fully optimistic uh, but you know they really do want to get a farm bill out of the way. Uh, which for us is helpful because we have at least two wool programs that are fully dependent on the farm bill. And then the rest, whether it's drought, disaster, uh, crop insurance side, uh, all very helpful to the sheep industry as it is to much of agriculture.
1: As I understand with the farm bill, and, and if I'm a little off, or if there's more, please feel free to fill me in. As I understand, really one of the biggest sticking points right now is over the social programs, the supplemental nutrition assistance, the women, infants, and children, and even some birth control programs. Is that what you're understanding as well?
0: That's what we've heard is, you know, in addition that uh, that there are some some uh, some of those that aren't production ag oriented that, that they have to work through to get there. <clears throat> for us, it's uh, our uh, uh, wool loan program, which unfortunately for probably half the growers in the nation, really right now is the only revenue available mm-hmm. for that coarser, maybe more colored wools, um, that that market, they during the pandemic, they just stacked up wool all around the world. And just so the demand at any price for some categories is very tough. So it's hugely important for us. To have the wool loan program, 40 cents a pound, greasy, uh, is available today. And, and since the program was done 20 years ago, we're asking Congress, we need to update and modernize those rates. And so we could see, hopefully, 40%, 50% increase.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense. I just, I'm just curious, when the government does, like, where does that wool go if there's not a market for it? What's happening to it?
0: Well, there's a lot of it that is uh, stored on farm uh, right now, which you can get by with. I mean, you just got to keep the weather out of it and, uh, and the rain and snow. And and if you put it upright uh, when you're uh, off the shearing floor, you can get by with that. Now, there are other areas. Uh, we did a meeting this morning, and we actually had four different state presidents that Pelletizing uh, wool mm-hmm. is become a very uh, popular topic. We know of, we've got a speaker uh, here at the convention that he started pelleting wool for the major retailers. Uh, they're using it, obviously, for potted soil, for flowers and plants. Uh, so we know of another project started up in Oregon, and there's probably a few more that are underway. So that's just one of the ideas of, of how you can use that product. We just can't tell from all our wool contacts, you know, are we a year away, six months away, or is it longer than that before we start seeing some demand for those certain categories of wool?
1: Interesting. That's the first time I've heard about it. So just one more question, and I don't mean to get too sidelined on it, but just one more question on it. In addition to planting, soil, what else can pelleted wool be used for?
0: Well, I think they're, uh, I think they're thinking along the lines uh, for compost okay. overall. Yep, so whether you're using it for more from the fertilizer aspect and you know more more direct just to Colorado is we have, you know, a good share of these feeder lambs that go into these lots are uh, shorn as well. Most of the time they do it for more feed efficiency by getting that extra weight off the off lamb. Uh, but that again is a shorter wool uh, oftentimes with black fiber. And it's just really sticky at this moment to try to find interest. We were able to return to uh, uh, trade missions. We brought uh, wool buyers from China. We brought wool buyers buyers from India. And we've been doing a lot of work with the Eastern European countries to try to, try to get those more mills used to American wool and interested. So that's a positive because we couldn't do it for three years.
1: Is your primary market at this point still some of the, the you and I have talked about this over the years, the the ethnic buyers, the the ethnic consumers, and I'm talking about meat products now.
0: Right. And nationwide, absolutely. There's just, it could be as much as 40% of that lamb trade now is what we call the non-traditional or or ethnic trade, and that's typically a lighter lamb, younger lamb, and more variety uh, in that mix but with that said as you go to the King Super's and city markets in this state that is all american lamb it's fresh it's processed right here in uh in north denver um and uh, so it's a key part of the revenue and that's probably one of the, the other key topic of this meeting and what the ASI Board of Directors will do, because it is their business meeting as well as, uh, as an educational session, is how to support the campaign of uh, the meat industry to tackle this referendum to prohibit slaughter or, pro- or processing of livestock in the city and county of, of Denver. That's, that's huge, huge. We happen to have the only lamb plant or the only plant in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, But it's a meat issue because if you can do Mm -hmm. it in the cow town of Denver, you can do it in any metropolitan Mm -hmm. city in the country. And we've got plants in Chicago, as an example, that would also be at risk.
1: As a national organization, are you supporting or how are you involved in what's going on with Superior Farms?
0: We met uh, with them, obviously, uh, early in the week. And on the final day of the convention, we'll have their presentation to our entire uh, convention delegation, uh, with, including the folks running their campaign, what they're what they're going to be doing month by month between now and next November. For ma- our board, the discussion has been uh, the lamb industry needs to be very front, uh, up front, and very significant as they go to raise money, whether it's a farm bureau or cattle or pork or the meat industry. Uh, people are going are gonna to note that the lamb industry, and my expectation is the ASI board, before they finish up this weekend, uh, will approve a significant amount of, of funding uh, okay. to help with that, fight that.
1: What about the jobs? What about the taxes? What about all the auxiliary business that goes along with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. They have uh, 160 employees uh, in that plant. It's an employee-owned company. Um, and it's been there for decades. So it's a, it's a huge piece, not just for those families, but for the economy. Uh, you know. And it's located right out there by the stock show. I mean, that's what that part of, this, of the city has been for, uh, for many decades. So uh, for us, it is also probably uh, Superior is the number one lamb producer in the country. Half of their production comes out of this Denver plant. So for our industry, this is huge on on the outcome of that vote. Okay.
1: Anything else, Peter?
0: I don't catch it.
1: Let me ask you this now. Maybe you can help me to understand a little bit more on the imports and exports. So our United Stockers of America is really supporting the lamb industry, the sheep industry, because they feel like there's... More coming in than going out. Can you explain that a little bit more to me, what's going on there?
0: There's no question there's more coming in than than going out. And 30 years ago, September in uh, 1993, the United States Senate voted to kill the National Wool Act. And that was the primary support program of USDA for the sheep industry. It had been there since 1954. That program paid out $100 million a year, every pound of lamb, every pound of wool. That, went, uh, that was sold in the state of Colorado had a payment through USDA uh, to go with it. So it is a huge revenue source. And when the Senate killed that program the same time they killed the honey program, uh, it had a devastating impact on U.S. production. you uh, numbers, uh, sheep numbers fell from 11 million to 7 million in four years. Uh, those uh, breeding ewes went to slaughter. Uh, they just... The, the operations couldn't figure out how to do it without that, without that Wool Act uh, payment. So naturally, the retailers, the groceries, the restaurants, uh, if you only had half the American lamb that they had just three years prior, they had to have a new source. And so that's when they started investigating Australia New Zealand. It's absolutely natural. So what we're hearing now is when you have a down market, uh, in the U.S., which we did, we had, we came, before the pandemic was even four months old, our lamb market went from a dollar a pound for a slaughter lamb that it fell to because the plants weren't open for weeks and weeks and 20. By the fall of 20, the feeder lambs were already back to where they were to pre-COVID days, and they took off like a rocket to the highest prices ever paid for American lamb throughout 2021 and through Easter or 22. Uh, the problem with that was a rack of lamb was now $100 in the grocery store. Uh, uh, leg roast was $80 a package. And I was tracking that uh, just you know through my own grocery store. And you saw that same piece of meat, same package of meat, was sit there through uh, Easter, through Greek mm-hmm. Easter, and through the start of Ramadan. So clearly we outpriced the consumer in that run-up. The reaction was they weren't able to sell it. The the companies started slowing down their processing because they weren't getting the orders and then they backed lambs up into the lot. And on the back end of that, you had some of the highest hay prices. You had $8 corn. So you had lambs that they weren't able to move through the lot and they had huge input costs. Um, so that created a situation in 2023, uh, where the live price was definitely up more the fall of 22. So the reaction was from some in the industry, uh, as it was in the, in the other down market we had in 2012-13 is immediately start looking at other sources of lamb. And for some organizations and entities, uh, imports is a place that they're going to look. In reality, it's inflation costs at that farm ranch gate mm-hmm. at the packing gate at the wool mill labor costs have just gone outraged for whether it's an h2a herder uh, and we use thousands of them in america or it's the man or woman working on the wool mill floor or in the packing plant and uh you know so we're seeing a moderation of those costs but not on the labor side
1: peter orwick american sheep industry association executive director my guest on today's show Thanks
0: for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.